0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Monday, February the 28th, and as we inch closer to Lent, the light of Jesus shines on us from Matthew chapter 18. There is so much packed into this one chapter that if someone were to say, what do you think of Matthew chapter 18? You would say, what part? And today we get to the parable. I love the parables. And today's parable is no exception to this because it tells us of the unforgiving servant. The servant who was forgiven, who was not willing to forgive his brother. And there is context, context, and context as we look at this parable. So as we look at it, first of all, we remember that we interpret it through the lens of Christ and also we look back to the heart of Christianity, which we would argue is forgiveness on account of our Lord Jesus and his cross. So with that in mind, we will, we will dig into this, receive his gifts for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back Pastor Peter Burfind of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Union City and Agnus Dei of Marshall, Michigan. Pastor Burfind, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thanks for having me, Pastor Bennett. Pastor, what's going on for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Our Savior and Agnus Dei?
1: Not much. You're just plugging along, preaching the word, and ministering the sacraments, and and uh, getting ready for Lent right around the corner. That's always just be busy, especially for a dual parish. But I, I love it, especially in the in the, the gray, dreary place of Michigan. Lent <laughs> actually kind of hits that mood, and and actually brightens up things a little bit. I look forward to Lent.
0: You know, it, it is something where, you know, we don't, uh, we don't follow groundhog's day. And plus for Minnesotans and Michiganites, like six weeks that that's just a lie. That's not when winter ends for us. Um, but when Lent starts, typically it starts with cold, cold days. And by the time you get to Easter at the very least it is significantly warmer. So we'll stick with right. Lent as our hope and, and pointing us back right. to right. the Lord Jesus. And Pastor, you were we were talking recently and you were working on an altar made out of oak.
1: Any any uh, any updates on that? Well, um yeah I'm working on a so my church in Agnes Day is a is a church plant and we had no liturgical furnishing. Well, my, my previous congregation in Toledo, Ohio, they, they actually had to shut the doors and, and you know, close, and they donated their altar to our new congregation. And then we had a family join our church, and their church also had to close down, and they donated this beautiful painting they had. So we had my altar from my old previous church and a painting from their church, but it didn't have an encasing for it, it what's called a railroad, a backing to the altar. And so what I'm doing is I'm working with the logic of my altar and making it, making something that will fit the, the painting for this, you know, from, from this other donation. And it's just about, it's just about getting ready to be done. The trickiest thing I have is matching up the art.
0: Well, God bless you in that. Cause I can't build a darn thing. So I'm always amazed at <laughs> guys like yourself that can do that. And well, God's blessings as that is something I think about this for my own congregation. You have the altar there and the pulpit and the lectern that one of our members made, and that will be there for many, many, many more years. Yep. So it is a reminder of yeah. of God's gifts that he gives to us and the holiness that happens in that area. So God's yeah. blessings on that. So, Pastor, Thanks. as we look for our Lord's blessings, can you can you begin our time in prayer?
1: Sure. We'll pray that colleagues like to receive the word in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Blessed Lord, who has caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear them, read Mark, learn, and inwardly digest them by patience and comfort of your Holy Word. We may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions
0: concerning our text, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org. As we, as you know, from previous episodes, Pastor Burfind is is a great theologian, has many insights to this. So send us an email and we'll address that question as according to the word of God. Now, pastor, the way we've been beginning our time is to kind of wet our palate and to get a, a little piece. And I, the whole thing, I guess you say the whole meal deal is we'll read all of our verses and come back. And like I said, at the beginning, context is everything. And that's something we want to come back, get some context. Give us some major themes before we go a few verses at a time. So we hear the Word of God from Matthew chapter 18. We end chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, you forgave all that debt because you pleaded with him, and you shall not have, and should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And his anger his master delivered to him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father would we'll do it to every one of you. If you do not forgive your brother, from your heart. This is our reading for today, and Pastor, as as we've talked about, there's a context to this, and it's important to know it. So tell us, what how, how do you want to start us off with
1: context or other themes? All right, so yeah, this 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 parable falls into a long context that begins at the beginning of, of chapter 18, where you had throughout this chapter this beautiful interweaving of, of these different themes and ideas that Christ brings up. And it's almost like, like you, you got one concept carries the freight for a little while. And then it carries it over to another concept it carries it over to another. It climaxes in this terrible that we just heard. So let's, let's review that. I'll try to get the high points of it. So we don't do like an entire, another Bible study on, on the context, but it begins in the whole chapter with, with Jesus bringing a little child and, and setting it in the midst of him and Jesus saying, Unless you become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so it, it starts out with that image of the little child. And it actually that answers the question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, if Jesus points out to a child. Well, what's going on with this child? Well, later Jesus says, Whoever receives one little child like this in my name, receives me. Now that lays down a theme that doesn't come to fruition until a couple several verses later where Jesus says that Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, and that power is to forgive sins, right? The power to, of, of absolution, the power of the keys where two or three are gathered in his name. You you are receiving sinners in his name. But anyways, that's already laid down here. When you receive a little child in his name, that that's his, you, uh, unless you can, uh, there's a say here, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Okay, but then he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and were drowned in the depths of the sea. Now, that phrase, causes me to sin, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, a better translation of that would be whoever causes one of these to stumble, and specifically to stumble in their faith. So we got these little ones, and now we got you know this little child receiving in Christ's name. And if we cause this little one so far, which is a child, if we cause him to, to, to stumble in his face for sin, we're, we're in trouble. We're going to have a millstone thrown around the neck. So who are these little ones? Who exactly are these, these little ones? Um, well, later we find out, I mean, we got this long thing, and then, and then Jesus says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, or if your, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, or if your hand or foot causes you to lose faith, then you need to cut it out, meaning part of the Christian body, if part of the Christian body is causing someone to stumble in their faith, that thing needs to be cut off. And then Jesus. this all segues into where Jesus says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. So thus far, we think we're still talking about children, and we're receiving these little ones in the name of Christ, and we don't want these little ones to stumble in their faith. So take heed that you don't despise them, for I say to you, their angel, the angels I see the face of my Father who is in heaven whole other interesting thing, but then in verse eleven it switches gears and the freight is taken off the 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 freight is taken off the 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 car of the of the uh, little one and it becomes something different because in verse eleven Jesus says for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost so we're not just talking about literal little children although that's included but we're talking about lost ones lost ones lost little ones okay. And then Jesus gives us, what do you think if a man is a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not go to find the one that was lost? Okay. And then he talks about finding the ones that are lost, you know, finding the lost. Okay. And then in verse 14, he goes back to the little ones. Even so, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So now we understand fully what Jesus is talking about when he sets up the little child. He's talking about lost little ones, little ones who are lost. Lost how? lost in their sins because he's talking about, you know, one who strays from that 99 feet. So sinners are really, as sinners come and confess their sins and say, I am lost without, without forgiveness. They are the little children that Christ says are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And we dare not despise them. We dare not put something in the way of them receiving the forgiveness of sin. And if anybody causes them to stumble in the faith by denying them the forgiveness of sin, it would be better than a millstone was thrown around their neck. And that's the gravity of the situation that Jesus lays down. Forgiveness is so much part of the heart of our doctrine that if our lack of forgiveness as a church is causing someone to stumble in their faith, that church should cut off that member and that church should have a millstone thrown around whoever's causing that and, and tossed out. Because this sets up the context and right after that, Jesus does the whole, moreover, if your brother sins against you, so we know he's talking about sin, moreover, if your brother sins against you, in other words, if you have a lost little one, and he sins, your job is to restore him, to bring him back to the church. And that gets to just before our parable, where Jesus lays down the authority of the church on earth to forgive sin in the name of Christ. In other words, to receive one of these lost little ones. Who are, who are lost in sin, to receive them in the name of Christ. And when the church does that on earth, it is being received, they are being received in heaven above. And that's what Jesus says um, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be found in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two or three on earth agree concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Okay that Jesus gives the church the power of the key, the power to forgive sin. And he instructs them very clearly. You're going to have a lot of lost little ones coming to the church, lost little ones. And he says, these are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. These are like little children. They're lost. They're in their sins. You need to forgive them. That's the entire mission and purpose of the church, is to receive them in my name through the forgiveness of sin. And here are the keys. Here are the keys that open the gate that bring this lost little one back into the fold. Peter, getting these keys on behalf of the disciples, comes up to Jesus and says, well, Lord, how often should I use these seeds? Just seven times? Seven's a good, typical number. <laughs> um, you know, seven, that sounds good. And Jesus says this radical, no, did you not hear me? Did you not hear about the milk stone? Did you not hear about the cutting off a arm if it doesn't do cause someone to sin? Did you not hear about, you know, How how my my lost little ones are constantly beholding my father's face. I've given you the keys. You're to use these with abundance. And that's the context for the parable we get to.
0: Oh, hold on to your seats, folks. Uh, That was awesome. I would encourage you, our listeners, that to re-listen to that, uh, go on to On Demand on KFUO.org after our program is over and, and open up your Bibles to Matthew 18. I'm, I, my mind is spinning because it makes sense. There are lost sinners, young and old, who are in need of forgiveness. And Jesus says, that's your job. That's your job as a church. Yep. You know, that's what we are called to do. So, yep. Pastor, as we look at these first two verses, I'm going to read these first two verses. And it really brings us, I want to say to straight to the heart of our issue is because we live under the adage. I believe Ronald Reagan once said that I'm going to forgive, but I'll never forget. And, (laughs) and, and I will forgive, uh, but we won't forget, excuse me. And, and that I think hits us right at the heart right away in verses 21 to 22, because I think we yeah. in our hearts ask the same question. So verse 21, then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. And pastor, we hear this. And, and for us, I think about, you know, my, uh, a friend or someone at church that if I were to forgive that person publicly or even privately, we go through that process of confession, absolution, one another seven times. By the eighth time, I'm kind of exhausted. So seven pounds sounds really good. So what's the heart of the issue here that that Peter and Jesus
1: is saying? Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and underwent, you know, brutal torture. He, he, he's not mincing words about the centrality of forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness to such extent that it's really blaspheming his, his cross if we in any way get in the way of someone understanding that he is forgiven by Christ. Someone that's, of course, repenting, you know, that's, that's repentant and seeking Christ's forgiveness. If we if we somehow get in the way of that, either by, I mean, I think this is the whole, I think the parable is by and large talking about the church as ministry, but also just an individualized because we carry over what what the liturgy is doing, we carry over in our personal lives. but if we get in the way of what Christ is doing through the church it's it, it's blasphemy against the cross
0: and what is say, say put it into a tagline the the heartbeat of the church is the forgiveness of sins, or how would you have a yeah. tagline for something like that? How would you say
1: it? I think that's 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 good I mean that's, that's that ties in the final verse, right, where it says, if you don't forgive from your heart, I, you know, if we're talking about the body of Christ, if the heart of the doctrine is not the forgiveness of sin, the, the Lord has strong words to say about that. And hmm. and that's what I would say. I mean, you you just nailed it. The, the heart of the heart of Christian doctrine, the heart of the Christian faith, is the forgiveness of sin. That Christ, you know, it goes back to what Christ has done for us on the cross, and, <laughs> and we are to reflect that. As we conform to the end of Christ.
0: So when Jesus says seventy times seven, because um, I went through this with my confirmation students, and there was always oh, there always seems to be a kid every year that says, "Well, Pastor, that is actually quote unquote number is it four hundred ninety? I'm not very good at yeah four hundred ninety. It's actually four hundred ninety. So does that mean only four hundred ninety
1: times? And what what is Jesus actually saying here? Right. I mean we. We're, mm-hmm. In the ancient world, they were far more, you know, especially with numbers. Numbers had an entire language of their own. So when you said seven, you know, that's the divine number. It's basically, you know, as often as you have to is what Jesus is saying. 70 times 70 is as often as you need to, you know, forever. Infinite forgiveness for those who need it and and request it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, And this goes into, like you said, the liturgy our order of service from the worship service extends into our daily lives. And so right. for our congregation, if you know we have 68 to 70 worship services a year, that okay. all of those would have some form of absolution. And so you take that times so forth and go down the list. I've been here at this congregation 11 and a half years. That's a lot of forgiveness we've had to give. Yep. So. Um, if somebody were to say, "Well, that's just too many," like, "Well, okay, well, let's talk about what the church has done for you the last eleven and a half years." Let alone the right, right. eleven members who've been here for forty years. It's it's right. very humbling once you actually start pulling out those numbers. But pastor, and, and what this number ahead. says about go ahead. I'm
1: sorry. Oh, no, no, keep going. You're you're on a roll. Keep going. Well, what what this number says about about the nature of sin too is enlightening. I mean. You know, we, we kind of get the attitude of like, well, someone has a sin, they need to repent, stop doing it, and the, the sanctification should take effect after eh, maybe seven or eight sins, but after that, you know, you better get your life straightened out and, and improve your sin. Jesus kind of says, no, there's some there's some sins that we have that are endemic to our personalities that we're going to struggle with till the day we die, and we need that ongoing forgiveness. And anybody who's married, anybody who lives in a, you know, deals with people on an ongoing basis and the same person for an ongoing basis, understands that this is, this is just the reality of things. Without forgiveness, no marriage would survive. And without forgiveness, certainly the church would not, not survive.
0: And so, Pastor, I'm kind of intrigued with this because if we were to interview 100 people off the street and you were to ask them, what's the heartbeat or what's the, the focus of the Christian faith? I do right. get concerned, and, and partly my own heart, too, probably goes away from this, is what would they say is the, is the heartbeat of the Christian church. Any, any thoughts on either what people might say, or, or, uh, um, I guess some concerns you might have, of what people might describe the church being.
1: Well, typically, and they're right on this, but they usually understand it wrong is they not say love. You know, the heart of the church is, is love. And they, under, they might understand love. as kind of tolerance or overlooking and, um, you know, just putting up with, putting up with sin. And that's a misunderstanding of what love is forgiveness there, there's no forgiveness without sin and that means you have to have an entire doctrine of sin that goes hand in hand with this doctrine of forgiveness and you know to say that forgiveness must be the heart that that itself can offend people because they, what are you saying i'm a sinner well yeah i am <laughs> that's exactly what the church is saying you know and and that's why you know the uh, the ongoing confession of sins and humility and humility before god and and the way Lutherans understand forgiveness, especially, or sin especially, I think, is is appropriate here. I mean, this weekly statement of, I am a poor, miserable sinner who sinned against your thought, word, and deed. So I think, but but I think that's a, when people think of the heart of a Christian, don't say love, but they don't, you know, that that's too, you know, that's not clear enough. <laughs> it is love, but it's love as expressed through the forgiveness of sin, that Christ loved the world that he gave his only, God loved the world that he gave his only son to die for sin.
0: And it, it brings us back to that, you know, there's no greater love than for a, a, a right. person to die for their friend, you know, or this exactly. this is love, not exactly. that we love, but that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins.
1: Correct. And the yep.
0: first John really hits it to the heart of everything that we are. Right. And now right. as we look at this before we go to our break in about three minutes, is this reality that if you were to end there, this is this is where the brain And the heart and everything else hears it and goes, oh, that, that sucks. I'm not going to do that. You know, this is, this is (laughs) not what I want to be doing. And a lot of times we'll separate what we receive from what we do that you're telling me to do something without realizing what we have or who we are or what we're receiving. So Jesus, right. well, Jesus is Jesus, so he's smart, um, and he's God, <laughs> so he knows not to the end there. But any thoughts? I mean, the parable, it, I think, really helps us think of it in a different way. And I, I, I guess I kind of want to ask, you know, why is it important that Jesus went
1: into a parable um, from this point after verse 22? And you're right, it's because it shows you have been forgiven much. And, and what I find very significant is that he's teaching it to Peter. So Peter... <laughs> Later on, and and Jesus knew this, like he said, he's God, he knows all things. Peter's going to commit a bit of a sin later on in his life. That's a pretty bad one. And he's going to do it three times. And that's the denial of Christ, which is the worst sin. Christ is going to forgive that. So Christ is going to give that 10000 talent forgiveness for this grave crime of rejecting and denying Christ. And Peter's going to get that forgiveness. So Peter, you know, if we might kind of you know, and we as Lutherans don't believe he's the head of the church, but he's the, the chief apostle, and he, he was the, the first minister at Pentecost and kind of laid the foundation for the church in the book of Acts. He represents the apostles. That's to be the the governing, dominating message for him as he goes out. As he, as he is instrumental in laying down the, the, the first Christian church, forgiveness has to be the, the foundation of that. And and that's what we see in Acts chapter two. Peter preaches the message that climaxes in baptism and the forgiveness of sins that comes from baptism.
0: Ah, so we oh, that's that's really interesting that you bring that up because Peter has experienced the forgiveness of sins because he's seen right. Jesus after the resurrection. And there's that that type of absolution, sit down, have breakfast with me, you know? Yep. Um yep. and he's experienced that, and then he is literally um, Acts chapter two, giving out that office of the keys and and knowing people where that comes. Wow, all the connections that happen in yep. Scripture. Boy, this is fun. But right now we need to take our break as we dig into this parable. On the other side of our break, we are studying Matthew eighteen with Pastor Peter Burfind, and we'll be right back. <laughs> This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 18 with Pastor Peter Burfind of our Savior Lutheran Church in Union City and Agnus Day in Marshall, Michigan. Pastor, we have not quite gotten to the parable yet, but I think the context <laughs> has been wonderful. Mm-hmm. And for us to to remind of this, the heartbeat of the Christian, the heartbeat of the church is the yep. forgiveness of sins. And yep. and and this is um oh it's so vital to everything that we have because it does not deny sin because who needs forgiveness if there is no sin uh it it, it lays to the heart of when jesus is resurrected and says peace be with you um and talking about you know you forgive the sins of any they are forgiven and it also shows us every day boy do we need it so pastor any other thoughts before we get to the parable
1: well, I like that you said every day, because that's what all that he puts in our lips when we say the, you know, the daily prayer of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses. So he, he himself lives out this 70 times 7 forgiveness, and he knows who we are. He knows our nature. He knows that we have to struggle against till the day we die, and that's why he provides the daily forgiveness. And when we are humble and, and repentant and come to him seeking forgiveness daily, he, he's there bringing, bringing, bringing us forgiveness. And what I would encourage you, our listeners, to do is, like
0: we said, what happens in worship is something that extends to our daily lives. One great example that if you're like, you know what, I need to do this in my home life, is in our Lutheran service uh, book on page 254 is a service of what's called Compline for the evening. And in there, it has an order of confession absolution that is really made for the home, uh, for the lady, for pastors, for whoever might be. And in there, you can follow that order with your family when you've had that moment needing forgiveness. And let's be honest, you can do this every day before you go to bed, but there's a perfect order for you to give you the words of how to repent and also to be forgiven, forgiving one another, as James tells us as well. So pastor, let's get into this parable. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. We'll begin with just a few verses at a time verses 23, and we'll go through 27 as Jesus teaches this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So, Pastor, uh, tell us about the
1: story and what is Jesus trying to say? Okay, so the, the first, let's you a little detail of things that I find are significant that go hand in hand with, the, with the, the radicalness of what Jesus is teaching, going back to the cutting off of the hand if it causes. I'm going to stumble going back to the putting millstones around the head, going back to the 70 times seven. And that's the amount of the debt that this guy has. And it's 10,000 talents. And I've, I've, I've figured it out periodically and it come and it's hard to just tell, tell because it's, you know, the change in cost of gold, <laughs> but 10,000 talents is a, is a figure of gold. And it, there's, there's a, it could be up to something like $300 billion. (laughs) It's an incredible amount of money. I mean, we're talking about a massive, massive amount of gold that comes up to like $300 billion. And if you, you know, you ask yourself, who has that kind of debt? Why on earth would a servant have that kind of debt? You know, that's the kind of debt that small countries don't have. But anyways, that's Jesus teaching the radicalness of the forgiveness that's going on. The second little detail that I point out here that I find interesting is that the servant, when he begs the Lord, we know something's wrong with this servant in the way that he repents. He doesn't pray that the Lord would forgive him the debt. He prays, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in his mind, now think about the weirdness. I mean, think about just knowing that we're talking about $300 billion. What kind of person has a $300 billion debt? Says, oh, this gives me enough time, and I'll be able to pay that off. <laughs> yes. that, that's kind of an odd. That doesn't happen, you know. People, you know, listen I don't know anybody who's got three hundred billion dollars to, to, you know, to, to pay off. There's a few, you know, high tech world type people that have that, but not servants of kings. <laughs> and he says basically, give me time, and I'll pay it off. And I think with that premise in mind, that explains his act later when when he's not able to forgive someone else. And I think a lot of Christians fall for that too. To get some interpretation here, they have the same attitude with God. They think, "Oh Lord, just you know, give me some time, and I'll be able to. I'll, I'll be able to take care of this sin myself. You know, just give me some more time. Forgive me, you know, today. Take care of me today, and and eventually I'll get it right." Not understanding that our confession of sins is very radical. Like I completely need your abundant grace and forgiveness every day because every day I, I'm in a state of sin. I haven't just committed a sin. I am in a state of sin. I'm in a state of debt. So I need that radical forgiveness. So right off the bat, those are the two things i played on in, in this little selection.
0: So there's a certain amount of, we don't understand the depth of our own sin when we receive the forgiveness of sins. Is that kind of what right. you're alluding to? Yeah, not alluding, you proclaimed it. Excuse me, I just don't understand. Yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, it, it's the Jeremiah verse that I, I get when I try to quote it. It's um, the heart is, Deceptive beyond all telling. Who can who can know it? Who can know the human heart? Uh, uh, yeah. But but it is a lot of people live under the delusion, like like this man. Like have patience on me, and I'll be able to pay it off. A lot of people live under the delusion that oh, my sin is just a little matter of you know. I think I can. I think I can with some willpower, or okay, God will give me some grace to me through this thing, He'll forgive me my sins today. But you know, eventually, you know. I'll, I'll get over this sin and I'll, I'll, I'll be purified with regard to this sin. And it might be you know, that God does sanctify us and we do improve in certain areas. But as far as the status of us being sinners with a load of debt that's $300 billion, there is no have patience, I'll pay it all. There is none of that. It, we need that to be forgiven. We need someone else to pay that debt. And of course, we know who that is.
0: As we go back in this, I'm, I'm going to go back to verse 23 is that therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to is a very common theme that we see throughout the book of Matthew. That Mm
1: -hmm. Matthew
0: is pointing out the kingdom that this, Mm -hmm. the Magi who look for the King to worship,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: we are, it's a slow like peeling back of an onion showing that this King that the Magi search for is going to, Matthew's going to show how this King, is different than any other king. So we already right. see that the, the hearers and Peter and the disciples, anybody who reads this, already is realizing this king is different than any other king. Right. Um,
1: do, any, any thoughts on that as we look at this first well, part of the parable? Yeah. I mean, it, it, there's a, actually a thought I've been having a lot lately. We're, lately. we're studying the book of Isaiah in one of our Bible classes. And, you know, as I'm looking at some of the prophecies about Christ, and about Christ being a king, you look at the Old Testament version of these prophecies, and they're really like, you know, the king will come, and he's going to kick butt, and he's going to bring revenge on his enemies, and you think it's going to be this big, powerful king. But then in one of the prophecies, it's the very one that, that prophecies about, you know, kings will come up and kneel before him and and give him gifts. And then you realize that that's fulfilled with the wise men coming and kneeling before a baby Jesus. And you, right there you get the idea that, Something else is going on with this king. He's not your typical, you know, Vladimir Putin type king who's going to, you know, take over other nations and, and be this conqueror. He's going to conquer in a
0: different way. And this is where we see this in verse 27. And out of pity for him, which is another word that we have continuously throughout Matthew, is a word similar to compassion. That he has compassion for them. Out of pity for them, Caesar. he forgives. So this isn't just a, a a king that has action, but that he has a heart, if you will, or a, a, a sure. desire and love for the people of whom he oversees and, and cares for them. It's not just a, a separation, but he is definitely with them, which I, obviously brings us to an incarnational understanding of Jesus and living with his people. And Hebrews 2 talks about that in every way he's been tempted, but yet without sin kind of language so that he can help us. So it really gives us yeah. another view of the king, not only in action, but also in feeling, which I, I, I don't know. Any, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. He, he, he's not giving the servant what he's asking for, which is time. The servant asks for time, have patience with me, give me some time, and I'll pay you everything. And the master is is actually kind of, you might say, kind of naive to to this person's character. But, of course, you know, he's, he could say The Lord is naive with all of us because he keeps on forgiving us knowing that we're going to do it again. (laughs) But, um, really he still has compassion on him and gives him something that he didn't even ask for, which is he gives him a forgiveness of his debt and he was just asking for time. And we might add here that, you know, the master had to take a significant, um, sacrifice. He had to make a significant sacrifice to forgive this guy's debt. He had to lose out on 10,000 talents. Incredible amount of money. And so he had to make a sacrifice for this. If he would have gone with what the servant asked for, which was just time, he might have got some of it back. You know, but this guy gives him forgiveness, which is amazing. And can you imagine
0: the spreadsheet at the annual meeting of that kingdom? <laughs> you know? I mean, just kinda of, okay, this which came in, this is how much we lost. Okay, so you forgave that debt, which is a loss of three hundred and thirty billion dollars. So we're not, uh, this 2022 is not looking too good here. Uh, King, um, <laughs> what are you going to do? So anyways, but I suppose that is exactly, uh, how the, the spreadsheet looks like for us when the Lord right, works with right. us is that it's a complete loss, but it is all forgiven. So anything else, pastor, and verses 23 to 27 sets the tone for the rest. Anything else you have?
1: Well, it's just that uh, it was a, ser- with his servants, and it was more than one occurred. And we have to assume that that he was willing to have the same mercy on everybody else too you know we were just talking about the spreadsheet like that spreadsheet's going really bad because you know i this is his character and even with this kind of shifty character who's who's forgiving you know we we, you know we we have to assume that he was willing to forgive the sins of all the servants too
0: it's a lot like the, the the parable of the sower that thanks be to god that the sower is a bad farmer Um, And and here, thanks be to God that the the king is not a good businessman in the way we think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Absolutely.
0: So uh, let's continue on verses 28 to 30. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So similar situation, just a different servant it, to another servant. And what's the scenario? What's
1: Jesus telling us here? Pay a different debt. By uh. Magnitudes of a difference. So 100 denarii is like 20 bucks. And <laughs> this servant, you know, wants, wants mercy for he, all he too wants is time. Give me some time. And, and I think this tells you a little bit, again, what the, what the head space of this bad servant, this unforgiving servant, where he was at in his head. He was thinking that debts are something that you are capable of taking care of, given enough time. And so that's where he's at, you know, okay. You know, I was willing to work off my $300 billion debt and okay, the guy forgave me, whatever. He's dumb, but I was willing to work it off and you need to be willing to work it off too. Which is interesting because this, this this is all this servant is asking for to his time. And even that he couldn't give him. So, I mean, this guy is a very corrupt individual. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: yeah. So if we were to look at the equivalent, we're talking billions to $20. Is, is right. I mean, we don't know exact, but that's as close as we could probably right, get. Right, right, right. And so he just received that forgiveness of sins. How does that relate? Uh, how does that relate to us? In uh, one is not a
1: one to one, but
0: can you give a scenario that kind of relates to our lives today? Well,
1: yeah, I mean, like I said before, I mean the, the three hundred billion or ten thousand pounds, however you want to put it, reminds us that our debt of sin is not just like a like an oops, I did this, I did a few things wrong this week. I got angry a few times. I you know coveted a little too much. It is. This is the depth and depth and and width of our sin and and the forgiveness that the lord gives is is immeasurable so how you know we actually look at sin in, in that in those terms we look at sin as like like oh i did a, you know let's look at a checklist okay i did that sin. i did that sin. okay i did 20 sins today and well we can I can take care of it i'll get those forgiven we don't understand that that it's it's the ten thousand or, uh, sin. and we don't we don't comprehend that well if we did then when we go out and, and other people do their little injustices against us we kind of make those to be something bigger than they are and we're like why well, I, I sinned against god 10 times a day and you know i can work on my life and i can make myself better with god why can't you make yourself better with me and that that's how a lot of people i think look at at the face and they look at it and say no you 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 have no right to be in heaven. You have a debt of sin and a weight of sin that that's incredible. You've denied Christ. You've you've done all these things, and yet Christ has forgiven you. And now you're going to go out and keep track of the the three or four sins that your wife did to you, or that your children did to you, and you're gonna you're gonna treat them in that manner. So, I, to me, I think yeah, there's a there's a strong parallel to, to real life going on there. And this it cuts to the heart of one of the
0: because naturally I'm I'm a peter where it's like okay all right yeah I get it I've been forgiven 300 billion dollars mm-hmm. for my sins okay I got it yeah the right. blood of jesus sets me free da, 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 da. And, but when that person has sinned against me and and some you know bitterness falls into our hearts and and we just don't I don't want to forgive that person what would be your encouragement well to me and to our listeners as the the struggle is real, but we also need yeah. to keep in the main thoughts. What are your encouragement to all of
1: us? in that? Yeah, that, you bring a good point. I think a lot of people, especially Lutherans, not especially Lutherans, but Lutherans on account of the way we understand sin, is sometimes sin can be a theoretical thing. It's like, oh, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. I can't name anything in specific, but, oh, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. So it all, become, it all becomes a theoretical thing, and then when... So it, it, it's not real, like you said, the struggle is, is not real enough for us. So we go out and someone sins against us, you know, like, well, that's, you, you, that's an indignity against me. What are you doing against me? You're pure. Like, the way I'm pure, even though I confess every week that I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Well, are you a poor, miserable sinner? Aren't you? And so I think, I think part of this calls us to do is understand and really, you know, the, the Bible says that our even our righteous deeds are as, as a dirty rag, And you know, we, we say in the, in the setting one, I mean, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Every day we pray, forgive us our trespasses. We are sinners. And, you know, they, they, we're sinning at ways we're not even aware of. And, I mean, just based on that alone, you know, when we receive that forgiveness, we need to, we need to understand what's going on. And, and that does give us, you know, then we will look at others in a different way, like, my goodness the that I've been forgiven by God. Why can't I forgive those little sins that have been done against me? And
0: so let's move forward because it's, uh, it, 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 it is such a dichotomy from the beginning to what we mm-hmm. see in the end. And then also what ends up happening to that same servant who was forgiven and what ends up happen mm-hmm. to him in the end. So let's continue on 31 and to the end. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, you forgave, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you who had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So the king, the master, finds out what happened, and so tell us the story, kind of give us
1: a rundown. Yeah, um, the the fellow servants then go and tell the tell the master, you know what what he had done, and I think that introduces. The, the role of the community in the forgiveness of sins. And we already got a hint of that prior to the text where the Lord said, if two or three of you agree on anything, it will be done. And, and power of the keys is a communal, it works out communally, right? The church gathers, you know, in the name of Christ. And as a community, those keys are, are there and the pastor has those keys. And so it's a community thing. And I think, I think it's important to understand that that the forgiveness of sins that the church that is at the heart of the Christian church is a communal thing. So it's not just, you know, between the pastor and the, and the member, but the the community is supposed to kind of be responsible and, and look after, after the the, the brothers that have fallen away and bring them back to the fold. And if the church isn't being appropriately forgiving, they need to, they need to be grieved and they need to, um, you know, bring up this, this issue. So, you know, and then the master uh, uh, I lost my turn of thought. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, it it's it, it's really interesting to see this play out in our own lives because the servants notice this, right? Right. The fellow right. servants notice it. And then and then you start to self-reflection, which leads me to uh by the gift of God, the repentance is that they notice this like, wait a second, you claim mm-hmm. to, you know, be one that was forgiven all your debts and now you're acting like this. I mean, what is going right. on? So it makes you realize too how much we have to keep this heartbeat at the center of our whole yeah. lives. Um, right. Because how quickly it can go badly. So I don't know any thoughts on that.
1: Right. That, that, that is definitely probably one of the major, you know, witnesses of the Christian faith. And it has always been this way in the early Christian church. You know the christians would pray for their enemies they would in, in a sense they would forgive them forgive them lord they know not what they do they were willing to forgive their enemies and that witness you know the people saw that and they said what sort of god would is giving them this uh, this abundant grace this abundant gift that they're they're looking at the person that's gonna chop their head off and they're saying lord forgive them And that is such a powerful witness. That's why I think love your enemy, which is a a species of forgiveness. I think that's been always one of the the most powerful witnesses of the, of the Christian faith And, and Christianity needs to be that we need to be in the world. We need to be a place of forgiveness and that needs to dominate our interactions with other people. We don't treat people with a distant hand, like, Oh, you're one of them. You're one of the bad people. We, we have hearts of forgiveness. We, we, you know, when we see our neighbors, even those that we don't agree with and those that, you know, they're, you know, might be dangerous or whatever, we, we love them and we pray for them and we treat them as ones for whom Christ has died. We don't treat them as, as well, you're, you're not worthy of, of us. You're not worthy of the church. I mean, that's a different story than, you know, communion fellowship and all that, but, but it's just, that is one of our major witnesses that we have as Christians that reflecting the, the love of Christ in our, in, as we forgive others.
0: And that's, and that is definitely unique, uh, uh to the world yep. where most. Well, all, all facets, I, well, I'll take a step back in our own congregation, you know, there was a there's a lot of questions about safety. So, you know, there was a time where there was a shooting in a congregation. I can't remember exactly where it was, but there was a number of them. And so we had right. one of our members who was a police officer come in and, and talk to our board and just say, okay, what can we do to keep people safe? And it was a wonderful. Had a very good approach with it, and one of his comments always struck me. And and this is absolutely true, as he said, one of the biggest struggles for the church and is who we are is that we're open to everybody, right? And and he's not. This is not a denying of the scriptures type of open to everybody, but we're we're here and we're here to serve sinners and and all sinners, and and so that was a very eye opening thing. We we made some adjustments to. Try to keep people safe but also leaving that reality that the door is open because the word is there right. the forgiveness of sins is, is theirs as well and that's a good reminder Absolutely. for all of us that if the door right. is open for them guess what the door is open for you which reminds us right. of the great sin we all have.
1: Any other thoughts? Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, but the open door is such a huge metaphor. That's a metaphor that sets up the parable. I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What do keys do? The open door. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. Now, Pastor, I want to, we have about five minutes left in our time, and I do want to touch base on two things. First of all, that when he switches, it's kind of like, Oh my gosh, this king went from merciful to mean instantly. Right. So just cuz he didn't forgive, uh you're going to now throw him in jail and tell him to pay off his debt which he cannot possibly do. What is what is Jesus saying here? This is a pretty stark warning for us as well. What do, what do you think?
1: Yeah. The Lord is serious about forgiveness because he's serious about sin. And I mean, it, it, there it is right there. If, if the church is not, you know, first off, if someone isn't forgiven, it, it, I mean, that's why he's so serious about forgiveness, because the Lord knows what happens because of sin, which is eternal hell. So forgiveness has got to be pretty important because that's the, that's the antidote. And he's also very serious about those that will, will, like I said before, cause someone to stumble in their faith because they're not receiving the forgiveness of sins, cause someone to remain in their sins because you blocked forgiveness from them. They, that, that's a serious, serious crime. And like I said, that, you know, that, that blasphemes the cross of Christ and that, you know, I'm not going to say it's an unforgivable sin, but it borders on that, you know, because you're, you're, you're denying what the whole purpose of Christ is is to forgive sins. So Christ God is very, very serious about that.
0: And it's, it's interesting because it's a sign of a lack of faith. Um, and, that, and that's what it comes down to, right, is, is the understanding yeah. that faith receives what the Lord gives. And if you're not, um, I guess you say, receiving and giving what the Lord gives, then there's a lack of faith there. And that has severe implications for eternity and also, uh, and also our witness that we have today. Right, yeah. right. And so the last four minutes we have, I want to get to the last part because in some yep. ways it makes us cringe a little bit um, when he says these yep. words. But you alluded to at the beginning, and I want you to give more of a full account of this, is verse 35. Mm -hmm. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And the the question will come up from a good catechized parishioner of yours that says, but pastor, I thought you said that what comes from the heart is evil. And now Jesus is saying that I forgive from my heart. How do I know if I'm actually forgiving from my heart from what Jesus is saying, which can be quite problematic. So
1: how would you teach this faithfully? And that's a wonderful question. And and I want people to understand when I'm talking about the experience of forgiveness that I I do believe most of the chapter is talking about Christ's instructions for the church. That the church as his body in its heart has to have as its message the forgiveness of sin. Now, here, Jesus does specifically say each one of you from your heart. And in my own mind, in my catechesis, I, and I've made a distinction between your heart and your heart of hearts. And the reason I do that is because Americans, when they hear about the heart, they immediately hear it according to 19th century romanticism. Uh-huh. And they hear feelings. They hear, you know, they hear emotion. So forgive from your heart, that must mean, I got to feel like I'm forgiving my brother. And the scripture talks about a heart of heart, create me a clean heart. Well, you have the heart of evil, and then you have the new creation heart that the Spirit, I would say, plants at a depth that, you know, that only the Holy Spirit knows. And to me, the way this works is not so much like, do you feel like forgiving that, you know, that ex-husband that abused you? It's more, in your heart of heart, do you wish this person to no longer be under Christ's forgiveness? Do you wish this person to be damned, and every Christian will say, "Well, no, I don't want that. I want them to come to faith. I want them to I want them to be forgiven. I want them to receive God's grace. I want them to be restored and to me, that's what the heart is talking about. from the heart of your doctrine, from the heart of your faith, do you forgive your your brother do you do you believe that this person is deserving of Christ's forgiveness and should and falls under the umbrella of what Christ has done for all people. And do you believe that, that the church should be about that? And that this person should be included at that, at that table, so to speak.
0: And that's very helpful. Cause when you look at the word heart used throughout the, the Bible, it's referring to faith, um, right. the, the emphasis is not a feeling. Which, right, right, So tell me that distinction again. You said heart and
1: heart of hearts. You made a distinction there. Yeah. It's teaching? Just, it's just in my own, that's a kind of a concept I've made and, and I come across, physically speaking, I'll come across something like, Oh, Chris, there it is the heart of hearts. Um, and, and it's kind of like you've got, everybody has their feelings and because of sort of our own cultural form, we look at the heart as connected with feeling. You know, the brain is our intellectual part and the heart is our heart of our feelings. And it's just wrong. <laughs> and, the, the scripture i think the heart of a heart is more in the depths of our being at the you know it's at the center of our core of what we believe is our faith do we believe that forgiveness is 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 the the, the heart of our message and it that takes it at a different level and it's kind of like what paul talked about you know what i want to do i don't do but what i keep on doing you know that whole thing in in romans 8 um you know that our heart tells us what we feel, and, and well, I don't wanna, I don't really believe that. You know, I, I hope this person goes down, I don't really believe that. I hope this person repents and, and is under Christ's forgiveness. And that's our heart of hearts talking against our sinful hearts. Pastor, we have a minute
0: left in our time. How would you summarize our parable, our reading today, and encourage
1: our listeners with these words? I mean, it's just a summary the whole chapter. Christ sets a little child, and he says, unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be a little child? It means to be lost. It means to be totally dependent on another. And in, his, in that context, as we follow it through, it means to be a lost little one who can only live off of the forgiveness of sin. Then Jesus switches gears and talks about the church and the church's mission um, and the office of the keys is to, is to receive that sinner in the name of Christ where two or three are gathered in his name And that forgiveness is to be abundant, eternal, infinite, 70 times seven. And nobody in the church or in the ministry is to get in the way of that forgiveness, getting to that lost little child, um, or else no stone's going to be put around their neck. They're going to have to go into jail until they pay every last cent. Christ is serious about forgiveness.
0: Pastor Peter, Peter Burfind of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Union City. And Agnus Day in Marshall, Michigan, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 18. Pastor Burfind, thank you for bringing us his
1: gifts. Yeah, thank you.
0: I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.